And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. back to the podcast today i have a very special episode i am bringing back my most recurring guest who's not really a guest she's actually a producer on the show and she's credited at the beginning of every show at this point uh please welcome jan major hi hi jan thanks for inviting me of course uh how did we get to to thinking about this episode there were a couple of days ago we were talking about algorithms and how you would google fairy tales and there was something wrong with the answers that you were getting on google can you talk about that so um yes so actually it was i was googling mythological deities specifically greek gods and google was putting up like those questions answers that it does at the beginning of searches and they were things like is so and so evil or is so and so good and things like that and this is what it was promoting i mean there were other things like wikipedia was at the top and stuff like that but these were the most prominent questions and they're really stupid questions. Since Greek gods are basically anthropomorphic personifications of nature, you're essentially asking, is the wind evil? Or is spring evil? Is fall evil? I really don't know. Because that's just totally, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, I guess if, you, if you're really a summer person, then maybe fall could be evil, but it's not an appropriate question. Yet, these algorithms are promoting that as the most prominent thing, which is kind of messed up. And I'm not going to talk about the algorithms themselves, because I know that you have a really awesome guest coming next week who can talk about it way, way better than I can, but... It made me think about all of the different ways in society that we kind of just look at information without fully understanding the context of it or what it means or anything like that. And also we make decisions about that information 
based on these really shallow understandings of the concepts. And with mythology, since that's one of my interests, that specifically made me think about how there's this kind of really shallow idea of what things like fairy tales and folklore and mythology mean in society and how they're used. So I figured we could talk about that. Well, you know, it reminds me, and I know we used to, last year we used to do this series about Gerard mm -hmm. and all, you know, various things that Gerard would say, and then we'd use that as a bouncing off point for a life lesson or whatever. Uh, and again, like you're talking about this and it reminds me of a conversation with Gerard where I said, <laughs> stupid, like a naive, stupid, non-native New Yorker. I was just like, how do they build the subway without closing down the streets? How do you dig a tunnel without it collapsing or something like that? It was a very stupid question that I didn't think through. And he goes, well, you're asking the question with the wrong assumption on how they build subways. And he went on to explain how they actually build subways. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminds me of that because a lot of people have the wrong assumptions about almost everything, unless they specialize in it. Mm -hmm. There's always a wrong assumption about something. Yes. And that percolates through every single area of society. I mean, everything from incredibly, incredibly shallow messaging around uh, politics and different regulations to things like, well, what I was saying, fairy tales, which ultimately aren't necessarily all that meaningful in the grand scheme of things, but it's also our cultural heritage. So it is kind of both. Right. So what are some examples of fairy tales that are being sort of misconstrued here? Yes. So one of the big things in our society is this almost sort of pushback against fairy tales as out of date, which I mean, to be fair, most of them harken back quite a few years. So they are a little out of date. Um, but beyond that, just being anti-female, promoting really outdated behavior and concepts and things like that. So for example, one of the things that people often say about Cinderella is that, oh, she just sits around and cries and doesn't do anything until a fairy godmother comes and rescue her, res rescues her, and then a prince comes and he rescues her, and all she has to do is sit around being pretty. Which, no. She's, and also at the same time, all of these other, like, kind of new versions of it try to make her stronger or tougher or someone who's trying to topple the patriarchy or, you know, things like that. But if you really bring the story down to what it is, like just at its core, this is about a teenage girl in an abusive family situation. And it's a situation that in the past, quite a few girls could expect to end up in. And you would never, ever, ever go to a teenage girl who's being abused by her family and be like, 
oh, well, you can't just sit around and do nothing. Oh, or even more, oh, so-and-so offered help? Well, that's so anti-feminism. You need to pull yourself up and get out of there on your own. That would be completely insane and cruel and just stupid. You would go and say, oh my gosh, that's a horrible situation and you are so incredibly amazing and resilient and strong for getting through this as much as you can and then finding a way out the moment someone offers you the little bit of the slightest bit of help you'd say yes you have a godmother go get her help you may not feel like you you're capable of actually going out to her because you're constantly being abused and stepped on but if she comes to you and says that she can help, then yes. Do exactly opposite of what your abusers tell you to do and get that help. Oh, you have a boyfriend who's willing to help you get out of there. So take it. And also this, one of the things that people have to remember is that these stories were not written in a time when women could actually just leave and get a job. They were written, if you look at the complete body of fairy tales, almost every time a young woman is forced to leave home, she ends up working as a servant in a kind of semi-abusive environment. So if you're just going to go from one place where you work as a servant to another place where you work as a servant, then you might as well stay with the people you know. Well, you know, I'm th- I'm thinking that maybe looking at that particular story through, you know, the lens of today as it concerns feminism is an incorrect way to look at it. It seems to me, and this is just the, based on the way you're describing it, it's more in line with sort of the the right wing bootstrap mentality where oh you're you you need all this help even though you know. What, 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 how's it, how's it, how did you describe it? It was like, I'm going through all this shit, yet I need help to get, to get out of this. Well, well, obviously you're not working hard enough. Obviously you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because it's all your fault and no one else's. And, and I see more of a parallel with that asinine logic than I do with the feminist logic. Well, the fact is that... There's definitely a certain amount of that, but that's also something that's throughout our society, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. And I, I feel like one of the problems with the way that they're often trying to update these fairy tales is that they are turning these women into people who just do completely and utterly unrealistic things. So now it's not just enough to get out of an abusive situation, which is incredibly, incredibly hard to do for anyone, no matter your age, no matter your class. It's really difficult to do. Now you're saying that you need to do that. Plus, you have to, of course, remain perfect looking. Um, and you need to be incredibly resilient and you need to be able to single-handedly, 
um, maintain a large house in an era when there's no such thing as running water. Um, And you need to um, learn martial arts since, uh, of course, a a lot of the fairy tale updates have um, princesses who somehow know how to use swords, despite the fact that women weren't taught that, which is actually like... It's fun. I love things where people use swords. I love superhero movies. But the problem is that you're saying that you're sending this message that you have to do everything and you have to do everything well. So you can't just be, you can't get out of a bad situation. You have to topple the patriarchy. So, like, recently I was watching... um, a new version of Cinderella on Amazon Prime, which is a fun movie, but in it she also starts a business creating fashion and defies everyone who says she can't do that and everything like that. And I remember watching it after a full day's work and I was tired and I was just looking for something stupid and fun to watch and I was thinking just this thing going through my head of like it's never enough it's never enough to just be okay at certain things there's just more and more and more that people are expected to do like one of the issues that um is often something in a theme almost in older literature is this idea that in order to be strong You have to run things and you have to be physically strong. You have to be able to beat people up and everything like that. Now, most people recognize that that is kind of messed up and it's a core tenet of toxic masculinity. And so on the one hand, you're saying, oh, guys shouldn't do that. But on the other hand, you're telling women now, and particularly literate girls, oh, well, in order to be strong, you have to run companies and know martial arts, and it would help if the company was in the STEM field because, you know, that's kind of well, it seems to an like, area where women don't excel. Yeah. It seems like, though, it's anything, anytime we hear about glass ceilings being shattered. The person doing it had to be 10,000 times more talented than any man who was doing it before. Yes. And that is true. I mean, it's not incorrect that if you are going to break down one of those barriers, you do have to be better. And you do have to be stronger and you have to be tougher and you have to be smarter. But at the same time, I would like to think that we've come far enough in society that it's okay for not just women, but really anyone to still be successful and still feel worthy without doing everything. And I know that personally, I've, I always feel like no matter how successful I am, there's more I should be doing or I should be better at this one thing or 
this other thing or I should have done more to get good at math when I didn't even realize I was good at it until I was 30. And it just is like all of this pressure and study after study shows that people in general, but particularly women, are just buckling under it. And part of that is how society is due to how society is looking at these things, such as fairy tales. And continuously saying these messages, sending these messages that you have to just do more and more and more. And I, and one of the things that's really stupid about all of it is that fairy tales aren't even necessarily all that regressive. The version of Cinderella that is most popular is the one that was told by Charles Perrault. And then Disney took it and made it even more regressive and the woman even, and Cinderella even more passive. But there are something like, I think, three, four hundred versions of Cinderella out there. And these aren't new things that people are creating. These are things that were just out there being told. I always personally liked the version of um, Cinderella written down by the Brothers Grimm, which is called Ashen Poodle. In that, she climbs trees. She jumps around on rooftops. And rather than having a fairy godmother come to her, she goes to a tree that's planted at her mother's grave and asks the birds for help. She also seems to have some sort of magic power and ability to talk to and control birds. And you know, that's all pretty cool. And you don't need to completely update that or change it. And even when dealing with the prince, she kind of butts heads with him. She outsmarts him. He tries to outsmart her. It doesn't quite work. Um, But, like, they're kind of shown to be on the same level as each other. Hmm. And why can't people just go with those versions of the stories? Well, it seems like... I want, instinctively, I want to use the word improper, but I don't know if there's a proper or improper way to tell a story, but certainly there are things that work and things that don't. And, you know, it sounds like you're talking about a version of the story where she has all of these gifts and it would make more sense for the storyteller to have her journey be uh, learning how to utilize and maximize those gifts. What can she do with her ability to talk to birds and then build off that? Whereas your biggest grievance seems to be that now they have to get this matrix style download of every freaking thing that is possible for a human to do and a non-human to do. And as soon as that download is there, then they are a complete person. Yes. And I mean, so like if you take some uh, something like Frozen which I absolutely love that movie and I fully support everyone seeing it because it's a ton of fun. But at the same time, 
you've got these characters who are drop dead gorgeous and have superpowers and even the one who doesn't have superpowers um she still somehow manages to she's very resourceful um and positive all of which are incredibly incredibly good attributes to put in a character because one of the key things particularly with women in fairy tales is they are incredibly, incredibly, insanely resilient. I mean, they just get through all of this stuff. Snow White has to survive by looking after seven men, which could not have been fun at all, no matter how nice they were. I mean, just all of those dishes. Um, But she did it, and she got through it and that's really admirable and also yeah she did it while looking perfect that's a whole other issue um but it's not that these new versions aren't taking away the thing where you have to be perfect looking or incredibly resilient they're just adding more to it well i felt like a lot of they 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 open it up with a lot of the characters in encanto they open it up so like more di- people have more diverse looks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is good. And that is one of the things I like about that movie. And actually, one of the other things that I like about that movie is the fact that they show that even these people with powers are buckling under pressure. Um, one of my favorite songs in there is Surface Pressure, which I can personally totally relate to. Um, and it really talks about how no matter how strong you are, you can still overextend yourself. Mm. Which I think is more of what our society needs right now, not a bunch of princesses running around and leading armies and stiletto heels with somehow perfect hair. I mean, I don't even have perfect hair today and I've just been sitting around here. (laughs) Well... I feel like it was it Lin Manuel Miranda that did Encanto. He did the music for it. It was music. a collaborative effort among a lot yeah. of people, though. But I feel like he's one of the reasons he's really successful is because he's really in touch with real human struggle. Whereas if you have a bunch of uh, out of touch writers sitting in a writers' room in L.A. trying to come up with Frozen Three or whatever. I think there's there's something there's something about people who don't ha- who don't live in real neighborhoods where they they get too out of touch and and they might be very incapable of actually writing real people. Like I know Lin Manuel Miranda still lives. I don't know if he still lives in his old neighborhood, but he still still lives relatively close to the neighborhood he grew up in. Mm-hmm. And so he's still in touch with a lot of real people who have real struggles. And I yeah. think that informs his work. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I mean, the idea that, like, a lot of people writing these things and coming up with these ideas are people who would never in a million years even remotely understand some of the struggles that these characters go through or have to deal with um, is definitely an issue. Plus, just the fact that, like, there's just not a lot of 
analytical thinking going into it. It's just kind of almost ticking off boxes about saying, oh, this is good. This is evil. We need to add this. We need to add that. And I'm, I thoroughly enjoy a lot of the things that come out of it. Books, movies, television shows, everything like that. But I enjoy them on an individual basis. But when you put all of them together, it just, I feel, sends a message that isn't ideal and isn't really looking at the context of all of these things and what are other options out there where people can do better because even though Cinderella is one of the biggest cases of there being other versions of stories it isn't even close to the other to the only one I mean even within the books that the Grimm's published themselves women get more and more passive in each subsequent version. So you can literally just go back to the early versions of it and find slightly better female role models. Or you could look at stories that our society hasn't necessarily chosen to be like the most popular ones because they're out there. Instead of looking at something like Beauty and the Beast, which is a beautiful story, you could look at East of the Sun, West of the Moon, which has many of the same elements, but a much stronger female protagonist who does a lot more. Or you could look for totally different stories, such as The Mastermaid who repeatedly saves the prince's ass because he's kind of not that smart. And there are just so many other ways of doing it and looking at all of the information out there and learning about it. And it just annoys me that people don't think to do that. It's just all of this black and white thinking and surface level. Yeah, well, you know, the... One of the most recurring things that my guests and I discuss on this show, and it doesn't matter if they're an artist or a scientist or whatever their profession is, they're always, it, the conversations always seem to come back to symptoms of a, a society gone astray. And I feel like when, 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 while you're talking about these works uh, as, a collect, as a collection, as a whole, uh, it, it seems to me like a symptom of a society gone astray where it's just it's become about checking off these boxes so that they sell as many tickets as possible without regard for the message that they're sending out there. And uh, one of the problems is that it is so highly industrialized at this point and done, done in a way where the people in charge are disconnected from the creatives who are further disconnected from i guess the version of being a creative they were when they started because there's there's almost like a, a soul removal process to get to a point where you're actually a working writer uh and and i've talked about this a lot on this show with other guests but it all goes into it into the same thing is 
how do you how do you bring these writers back to to sort of a center point and get them to realize what they're doing uh, and I'm wondering if it makes sense to get people who specialize more in fairy tales into these positions to sort of run these writer rooms well i don't I don't necessarily think that you need people who specialize in that to run the rooms, but I definitely think it would make sense to simply consult with someone. I mean, how often has Hollywood reached out to someone like Maria Tatar, hmm. who's a well-known academic who writes about fairy tales, to say, hey, we're working on this project, we need ideas. Maria Tatar was a very important staple in some of my undergraduate studies. I know that. <laughs> well, I, it makes sense. She's she's not just a very prominent academic, but she's also a good writer. Yeah. <laughs> and she has a lot of interesting things to say about the topic. I like her books. Yeah. So, like, what wouldn't really hurt Disney at all to bring her in for a couple of days to just kind of mull over some ideas and some scripts. As... As a Disney stockholder, I fully advocate for the idea of them hiring Maria Tatar to go over every single script before they go into production. Well, maybe offer some ideas about how to approach fairy tales. We can just start there. And it wouldn't be like, and it's not just Disney. They're not the, they are not the only company doing this with fairy tales. And this isn't. I mean, other companies, uh, movie studios create fairy tale films. Um, yeah, there are books. There are all sorts of things. I mean, I remember reading kids' books from that were written in the 70s that incorporated some of this stuff where um, they're trying to make it more um, up-to-date and in, include new ideas, make the princesses stronger, and they're going a little far at mm. times, and sometimes not. It great, depends. great characters, the best characters, also have many weaknesses that they learn to deal with, that they learn to overcome, but they don't necessarily get the download to get rid of it completely. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what we're some of what we're going after here. Yes. Um, but then there's also a component of all of this that, I, that I've been listening to today that goes into sort of not allowing, kind of keeping uh, your emotional intelligence at bay when it comes to personal politics and politics of the day so that you're not completely and utterly destroying your story or your characters with preachy ideology. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily about politics or preachy ideology i mean the people who are asking whether i I don't even remember which one i googled but like whether the god of wind is evil or good that has nothing to do with ideology that just has to do with not taking any effort whatsoever to actually understand what you're talking about and understand the nuances behind it because so much of the world right now is just black and white. Well, that, that and, it does, it, it kind of goes into it though, because I mean, 
we started out with that misunderstanding of the deities, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you're essentially calling nature evil because you don't understand what it it's all about. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm talking about I'm still on the whole thing where a female princess has to embody every single skill imaginable. Yes, that's that's what I'm on. Yeah, but, no, that's definitely a thing. It's poli- highly political. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not even just that, like watching shows recently, I was thinking, I think we actually briefly spoke about it, how they always have like these women who are doing like martial arts and beating up tons of guys and they are these tiny stick thin little people who don't seem to actually have any muscles whatsoever. I mean, obviously, they have some muscles. You have to have muscles to survive. But um, there's no, like, muscle definition or anything like that. And while there are, like, I remember watching Buffy when I was younger, which was one of the first things that had a petite female um, who was beating people up. And that was incredibly empowering, seeing someone like me, since I'm obviously female, not particularly big. Um, And at the time, I was also, um, I think, in middle school. So that was something relatable. But now it's just a completely unrealistic expectation because they keep on doing it. And... You that you'd never have a man on screen who is beating up a whole bunch of people and has no muscles. <laughs> but women, it just seems like all of these teeny tiny little people who look like you could blow them over are somehow these like massive badasses. It is possible to be badass and be small, and some women don't necessarily put on a lot of muscle. But it's just again and again and again and again and again, and it's this, it creates this expectation that women need to somehow be able to be in incredibly good shape and able to beat people up and swing around and do this and that and this and that um with and but still be incredibly incredibly slender and really just not muscular (laughs) because being muscular isn't feminine enough so you know it's just I was, when I was a kid, living in a dingy, crappy trailer on Long Island, Maine, there was this bully that lived on the island year-round. He was big. When he was a kid, he was, he was a big kid. Uh, and not in shape by any measure. Then in the summer, there was this kid that lived up the road. I don't remember if what his name was like Fred or something 
I really don't. But he was nerdy and teeny tiny, thin glasses. Uh, but he took karate, and he was um, he was up there in in the belts. I don't know how all the belts are colored, but uh, he was an advanced karate kid. Um, and at one point, him and the bully, the town bully, were in an argument, and the bully was very jealous that this, we'll call him Fred, fuck it, we'll call him Fred, he was very jealous that Fred knew karate, he's like, well, I don't care if you know karate, I could take you, and Fred's like, you know, he's got to defend his rep, you know, mm-hmm. so they, we, we plan a fight in the woods, like Hicks do, and Fred doesn't get one punch in. Fred's doing it by the rules. The big bully comes up, bashes him over the head, and Fred's down. It didn't matter that that he knew how to fight proper. He was smaller and physically unable to beat the bully. And it would have been better for Fred had um, he used his size to his advantage. And one of the things I did not long after that was I managed to get, it was a different day in a different circumstance, but I managed to get the bully in a headlock because I had learned that lesson by watching that ridiculous fight. I said, well, you can't fight him in the way that you would prefer to fight him. So I got, I got that bully into a headlock at one point and I almost choked him out. And that's, that's a lesson that storytellers can can use because essentially I was using his size and my size to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't shake me off. He can't uh, twist his body in a way that he needed to to get me off because he's too heavy. He was, he was just too big and I was too small. But I had good arms. Um, and if, if, if some of these writers could write these characters so that they're using their size more adequately with the moves they're making, I could see them finding a way to realistically or not even realistically but reasonably take out a SWAT team like how would you take out a SWAT team that's something to think about Jan Major over the next week your assignment is to think about how you would take out a SWAT team right do I want to take out a SWAT team it might be nice to know why would I need to (laughs) I would like some context around this because I'm not really the kind of person that they're going to be after so what's the benefit to me (laughs) <laughs> well, team. it's 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 all about uh, writing. It's all about getting into the mindset of a character that otherwise wouldn't even be able to take out a single SWAT team member, let alone a whole SWAT team. Mm-hmm. So, how would you write a character of your your built, your strength value, your knowledge base? What could you do to get you to take down every single person who comes through? You know, whatever, you know, like you're dining at a cafe and, a, and an evil SWAT team representing some evil corporation comes in. And they're like, Jan Major, you know too much about fairy tales. We're taking you out. How are you going to take those bastards down? Well, I think that I would have to use intelligence rather than strength. Because the fact is, um, I am five foot three. I'm not particularly well coordinated. And no matter how many weights I lift, 
you still seem to be way stronger than me, and it's really annoying. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean that's a whole other issue, and. I think storytelling because there is again this whole idea that in order to be like somehow worthy and strong and powerful you need to be physically strong and in so many stories the evil person is the smart person or the person who uses other people to um, protect them or serve their purposes we were just watching Superman, so obvious, super strong Superman versus smart Lex Luthor. And that dynamic plays out again and again and again. I mean, if you think about kind of evil characters, there's like the evil sorcerer who knows magic, which is kind of an intellectual thing, or the evil king or the evil queen who wields power through other people. But then the protagonists are the knight in shining armor or the good prince who rides up on his stallion or when women do succeed, it usually is down to intelligence because that is um, much more realistic. But again, they uh, people seem to decide not to really focus on those fairy tales that feature really smart women kicking Mm. butt except not actually kicking butt because they don't necessarily kick anyone because it is possible to go through life and be successful without kicking people well wouldn't it be nice to have a villain who was involved in uh, soup kitchens homeless shelters animal rescue and just generally a good person and finding a way that they're a threat to society and then having some murderer incarcerated for life somehow finding a way to have that character be the hero like what what kind of story movements could we build to change people's views <laughs> that would be <laughs> a sure wonderful okay so hold on. we need to change I am charging listeners with a writing exercise. A short story. Feel free to submit it to me through the form on my website. This is the, this is the assignment, exactly what I said. I think that that's a, a nice challenge for people. I'm not talking about creating antiheroes either. Just come up with a story that changes the table, that, that, that sort of changes, oh, well, the, the soup kitchen guy has to go, you know. What kind of story can you all come up with? It's these kinds of exercises that will help change the game. Well, I haven't done a writing prompt on this podcast before, so that's a first. Yes. All right. I think we had a good conversation. We don't need to go go further than this. Uh, okay. Unless you had other examples you wanted to talk about. but No. I think I'm good. Yeah, in our initial conversation about this, we really focused on Cinderella, so uh, we got that out, and I hope that uh, that stimulates some interesting discussions to everybody else out who's listening to the podcast, and that you find this a valuable part of the overall discourse. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jan Major. You're welcome. 
Hey, could you send me a headshot to you? <laughs> uh, could you take a headshot of me? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.